Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your hosts. Andy with Night Mask number 10 and... Steven with Psy Force number 10. Started in 1986, the New Universe was an imprint from Marvel Comics dedicated to a more grounded and less fantastical approach to comics and world building. The idea was the world outside your window with real-time progress and reasonably or cinematically realistic technology, physics, astronomy, and biology. Eight new comic series launched in one month set in our world in 1986. Now, as the stories progressed to 1987, the world still largely doesn't know about paranormals, except for a few secret agencies. With our podcast, you can follow along with us each week as we go through each comic in the order they hit the spinner rack, or just check out individual comics if you already have a favorite. We have a website, uh, kickersinc.com, where you can find out more kickers and other new universe-related uh, information and a little bit about us i suppose we have a super sleuth sweepstakes there still available if you want to test your trivia knowledge from the first four issues of uh, the new universe and we will as we say every month every week have a new uh, contest coming soon but in the meantime lies <laughs> we have our new universe slogan contest so if you want to beat Make Mine New, uh, you can uh, send us your suggestions at uh, newuniversepodcast at gmail.com. And we will uh, you know, reward the best and use it for ourselves as our own New Universe slogan, no matter what happens in the books themselves. Yeah, unless it's not as good as our slogan, then we'll just trash the whole lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also have a Twitter uh, at Kickers Inc. And uh, I, I've been hearing Twitter has been uh, gone through a lot of changes recently. It's completely like still user experience the same. So don't know what's going on over there. Yeah. Um, but our we also wanted to say a shout out to our friends over at the Facebook fan Marvel Comics New Universe fan page on Facebook who have always been supportive for us. This is true. They let us post our links without complaint. <laughs> hey guys, can we spam your uh, website with a lot of uh, you know, <laughs> self-promotion? Well, there's two of us, so is it, it's you know mutual. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, <laughs> we talk about comics today. Uh, so yeah, so this week I'll be covering Night Mask. Keith Remsen is a young paranormal who can enter people's dreams in the disguise Nightmask. With his sister Teddy as psychic anchor, guidance from Dr. Ballad and physical therapist Lita Mercado, he helps others at the Ballad Dream Clinic. So this issue, number 10, Nightmask embarks on an unorthodox background check through the dream world of his friend Dr. Lucian Ballad and discovers a terrifying hidden world of superstition and death in Voodoo in Washington, written by Roy and Dan Thomas, penciled by Mark Bagley, and inked by Tony DeZuniga. And there was also a short version of that, so we give you both. Uh, what's the story behind Lucian? Beginning this issue, you're going to find out. 
potentially some terrifying hidden world of superstition and death. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. What's the deal with Lucian? <laughs> and this week I'll be covering Cyforce. Avoiding trouble from street gangs and government agents, a group of psychic teenage paranormal runaways is bound together by a psychic entity called the Psyhawk, who they resent and fear. They have no name for themselves, but we call them Cyforce. This week in Cyforce number 10, the teenage Cyforce secretly visits the reservation of their murdered mentor, Proudhawk, to learn from his grandmother the purpose of the mysterious Cyhawk. What they discover is more than what they bargained for. Written by Danny Fingeroth, penciled by Rod Wiggum. Or a shorter version, meet Proudhawk's grandmother, an Indian mystic, as the kids try to find out the true nature of Cyhawk. I was kind of hoping they would be like fighting this grandmother. But... Yeah. Hey, there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> no spoilers. No spoilers. Okay. <laughs> and we'll also be discussing some of the, from the questions from the new universe uh, highlights where uh, they had a uh, asked everyone their question of the month. And we'll be trying to answer that for, um, for these two books. Right. And as usual, we'll have better answers than the creators themselves. And that's just kind of how it works. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of native population mysticism in these two issues, I guess. <laughs> uh, Night Mask number 10, uh, cover date August 1987. So, at least by cover date, we're rolling through 87, uh, though this one came out April 28th, 87. And so, our cover is. Pretty nice. Uh, it looks like a Mark Bagley cover. Uh, I don't know who PCR is. Maybe you do? Yeah. Um, P. Craig Russell. Inking again. Those, those are names. <laughs> I don't recognize the name, but um, it's like protein something, something, right? But uh, yeah, so the cover of Night Mask basically has Night Mask face-to-face with a giant whitish blue snake, which as it turns out, will end up being important to the story. So it's actually a pretty nice cover, uh, though Nightmask looks like he's in trouble by the snake. And so our uh, opening, opening of the book, the big splash page in the beginning, the title of this story is Drums for Dambala. Right? And so unlike the giant snake, our splash page has what looks like kind of a NASCAR scene. Um, and, you know, yeah, Roy Thomas and his wife as writers and Mark Bagley as uh, layouts is what he's listed as. So, so can, presumably someone did the finishes or Tony Duzuniga just inked over the layouts or something like that, but it looks good. Yeah. Yeah. The art's fine. Yeah. And so um, just before we even get into the story, I, I looked up Dambala, and as you might expect, it is a Haitian voodoo loa, or spirit of some kind, uh, and it's often depicted as a great white serpent. So oh. got our cover figured out there, sometimes called the Sky Father. <laughs> I did my Wikipedia research for 20 minutes, right? Okay. <laughs> um, I've, the, I've been tricked too many times. Like, uh, we're, I've <laughs> got to find out all the information. Oh, it's completely made up. This didn't exist at all. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so this one is is semi legit, and there's a fun section at the end uh, of like pop culture references of Dambala, and apparently the name was invoked in the movie Child's Play when the bad guy was transferring his body into the Chucky doll. So, oh. one of the lesser known powers of Dambala, apparently. <laughs> okay. So it goes. Extra information. That's what you come here for, right? I can't believe they didn't throw out the like Night Mask number 10 in pop culture. I really hey, we can put it on there. Okay. Right? That's legit. I think I have an account. I should do it. <laughs> yeah, right. whenever I do anything, it's just like from my IP address and some some editor reverts it 10 minutes later. Oh, that's not um sorry. <laughs> Lame. I was just trying to be helpful. Anyway, go. Not going to donate them the dollar next time they ask for it. Then. <laughs> Never. <laughs> anyway, the comic book. Um, so yeah, we're opening up in a race car scene. So the narration says, it's supposed to be the Indianapolis 500 or something a whole lot like it. Um, but it's more like a wacky race. you know. So the cars are realistic-ish. Um, but, um, you know, they don't all match. The numbers are kind of random, you know, our, our dream and nightmare. It's, it looks like a dream starting off in night mask. Um, so do you remember the Tom Cruise movie days of thunder? I do. I, I, I was looking at this thinking that had to have, you know, come out before this. No, it was three or four years later. So no, no influence at all. No. Mm. So, what we've got is the lead car in red uh looks like a fancy Datsun or something more than a race car it's got actual headlights so it's not quite like a NASCAR mobile uh someone's yelling at get your foot off that brake and hit the accelerator you'll freeze up and they'll pile up 20 deep behind us and you turn in a night mask in the passenger seat yelling at some woman who's driving uh, and basically bossing her around um and so, yeah, clearly this is Nightmask trying to help someone in a dream, which somehow involves cars and racing and such. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a, a mixed up dream as far as things go. And, and essentially, uh, he just keeps telling her what to do. Uh, she kind of gets annoyed with him. Speed up, slow down, you know, make up your mind. It's like, eyes on the road. So it's like one of those um movie driver's tests where the the teen is in over their head and the driving instructor is starting to lose it um but basically you know they start kind of spinning out of control and and even sort of driving the wrong way on the track and as they head towards the grandstand full of people uh, it's all one guy like in the same outfit and hat and sunglasses um and night mask keith says don't you see they're all him over and over uh, oh, no, she's saying, don't you see, they're all him over and over again. And I'm going to kill him again, just like all the other times. So um, they've been in this dream before. Uh, he's he's tried to help her before. He's like, get a grip. Um, so it's not looking too good. She's going to crash into the wall um, and kill all of this, you know, identical man. So it's an interesting dream. And then we get a narration box. It's too dangerous. Keith, prepare to ditch the dream, which we presume correctly is Teddy uh, trying to pull Keith out of it. And he says, no, we're we're too close to a breakthrough this time. I want to stick it out. Um, 
So Keith is in the clinic, laying there sleeping. Teddy's right by his side. So, you know, they're doing their ballad clinic sleep, sleep therapy tricks. Dr. Ballad's in there again, you know, talking about you know, he's close to endangering his own life. According to the brainwave readouts on my monitor, at least, you, know, you guys know the risks. So he's, he's risking his life here a little bit um, because they still think that if the patient wakes up with Keith still in the dream, you know, he might be stuck there, which is a little different than the other trap of if you die in the person's dream, then also no good. So dreams are tricky, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately, they don't have any of the uh, cool like monitors going like around them. It's just kind of a normal room from the angle we're looking at. So yeah, it kind of looks like a hotel room. Yeah, it's not the pseudosciencey thing I would always enjoy. But anyway, yeah, it's not like the gnomes set up. He had a lot of cool gear generally. Yeah, you should. He, they should be able to get that on like surplus or eBay, whatever. Because <laughs> it went out of business. <laughs> That's probably why he never showed up back up in the comic again. Is he ran out of cash and had to clearance all of his equipment. <laughs> right, right. So it goes. Um, so yeah. So Keith decides to stick with it, and he's going to try and help her out, even though he might crash and die. Um, and so. Basically, has her drive in reverse, uh, which somehow fixes the dreams instead of all the mistakes and acts and near crashes she was making going forward. They're able to kind of reverse that. Um, so it's a little confusing at first, uh, but they pull across the finish line. Um, Mario Andretti couldn't have finished this course any cleaner than Angela Salzberg, certified public accountant, which is apparently the woman they've been helping. Um, oh, so much for their like uh, taking like rich people who have you know dream problems and uh, shaking them down for all they can. <laughs> some CPA, and... maybe they take health insurance. I don't know. It could just be a copay. <laughs> your insurance would have a lot of questions about your dream therapy <laughs> sessions. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's a good question. <laughs> How does the money work here exactly? Um, so yeah, so Keith is, you know, with any luck, maybe Angie won't be needing a dream driving school or a racetrack or me after today. Um, and you get a neat panel where in the dream he's talking and Angie's is there with kind of like a tear in her eye and things have finally worked out. Um, but in the real world, Dr. Ballad shows up and asking her how she's feeling when she woke up. Um, but it's clearly an older version of her. So like the she's dreaming of her younger self uh, as far as things go. Um, and then this, I think, is honestly, you know, kind of funny. He said, perhaps you're ready to discuss the unfortunate accident which led to your longstanding fear of driving. So Nightmask is risking his life to help an accountant with her fear of driving? Eh. Yeah, that's... Poor life uh, choices. Yeah, I think... It was a, in, a visually interesting dream, but like it's it's a little low stakes. You're right. Yeah. Fear, overcome your fear of driving isn't like get out of the coma that you're unable to awaken from. Yeah. So. Right. So I guess he's helping guys like with their like he helped that rich guy with his control issues. 
you know, when yeah. he was the giant robot in the robot world kind of thing. But I, I could see an 18 year old being kind of reckless about this, even though <laughs> if you take a step back, you're like, maybe this is not worth 50 50. It'll life. kill you. Oh, okay. I'll try that. Sure. Okay. Well, I like those odds. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, yeah, the, the, much like several we've had before, they he's also kind of, seems kind of tired of whatever it is he's going through. Like he's been in this person's dreams a few times already. So, yeah, after six weeks of Miss Salzburg's wild ride, I learned she didn't dream her dream; she drove it. So yeah, six weeks. So yeah, and <laughs> completed the job by annoyance, if nothing else. All right. Well, with Angie Salzburg CPA uh, problems solved, and she can get try and get her driver's license now. Um, you know, Keith and Teddy sit down and kind of have a talk, and you know, so again, um, they're actually getting along fairly well at this point. Uh, there's a funny line where you know Keith says, "I just hope she drives better on the street than she did in her dreams," and Teddy starts rolling away and, you know, that's an opening line to none of your woman driver routines. I'm out of here. <laughs> and another thing about women drivers, have you ever noticed that the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice. He's got a bold future as a stand up uh, in the 90s. So. <laughs> Maybe. I don't the know. next George Carlin for sure. <laughs> So yeah, so Teddy mentions that um, she's going to be spending more time with Frank Mercado, uh, Lita's, Lita's brother, who uh, he kind of got out of trouble a couple issues ago when he was, you know, acting out and being in gangs and like his former gang was trying to rough him up and then we found out that he couldn't read and that was kind of the thing. So she was going to tutor him in reading and apparently she has been. Uh, Keith goes into protective big brother mode. Uh, he says, oh, I got my suspicions about that, you know, thinking that basically uh, Frank's got the hots for Teddy. Mm. Yeah, he's really motivated these days. Uh -huh. We see what's motivating Frank. Okay. <laughs> Teddy is 14, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, uh, it's a year or two younger than I, I would have guessed based on like the, the drawings and their sort of interactions, but okay. Yeah. But I guess comics, it's kind of hard to draw the difference between a 14 year old and an 18 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Given that one. But anyway, so on his way to physical workout session with Lita, you know, they run into Dr. Ballad and he's got an ink stain on his shirt. Um, she says, ah, one of those cheap pens from some promotional mails, like compliments of capital dry cleaning. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. This is funny. I just came across a, a like a website about fountain pens saying that this is like a myth. Like, you know, fountain pens now are like, uh, like a guy carries one around and he never has issues like this with him. And you probably only have seen this in movies. It doesn't mm. exist anymore. So, then ballpoints never do this. Yeah, irrevocable damage to the fountain pen industry, though. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, Marvel, someone Hardy was, and the uh, Three Stooges, and uh... 
Yeah, yeah. Payoff from Bic or uh, Pentel there, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, you know, Keith is wandering through the building, basically running into everybody. Uh, he runs into uh, Teddy and uh, uh, Lita's brother Keith. You know, getting started on the session, and looks like they're kind of holding hands a little bit. And it's like, oh yeah, page thirty-five. Yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Keith is suspicions okay. confirm. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. So, so then Keith gets to go visit his crush, uh, his physical therapist, exercise partner, Lita, um, and kind of complain about his sister and her younger brother as far as things go. Um, so yeah, and of course, Lita points out, you know. Uh, I'll remind you of this little discussion next time you hint around for a date with me, Junior. He's like, that's different. Uh, of course, over 18, everything's legal, Lita. I don't know where. <laughs> we, we don't quite know how old she is. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I was really like trying to figure out it, but um, she could be still like college age, which I don't know. Yeah, could be that. Could be 30s. I'm not really sure. She's uh she's again in the like aerobics workout outfit. Uh, always, uh, physical she's... therapy is always her thing. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so not quite the long workout montage that we got in the previous issue, but not bad, not bad. Um, but I guess if her brother is eighteen, then she's probably not that much older than that, than that. Remember there was like a family photo and they were both like under some age. And I was like, well, that means they have to be within three or four years of each other. But it was kind of a guess. Yeah. And you know. next issue, they'll probably just tell us the number and all of our speculation will be pointless. <laughs> Indeed. But anyway, you know, Keith is touring the building um, and, you know, they reconverged for lunchtime. Uh, Dr. Ballad, Teddy, and Keith kind of sit down. And he starts talking about uh, how uh, the time is finally right. All right for what? To let our scientific colleagues in on our little secret at this weekend in New Orleans. Um, so apparently he's going to a psychiatric conference and doesn't, ne doesn't necessarily want to out uh, Keith but wants to kind of share the information they've been gathering about kind of like the sleep research. It's a little vague. Um, I'm guessing that he, at least I'm guessing that he doesn't want to uh, share that, uh, <clears throat> that Keith is a paranormal. Oh, did we freeze again? And neither of the two are really in initially that excited to go to the psychiatric conference, which I guess you know, is probably fair. It doesn't sound that interesting. Um, Teddy, uh, you know, she's hoping it wasn't this weekend, but she kind of agrees and Keith agrees as well. You know, says, yeah, it just caught me off guard, but I've never been to one of these things. Like, I won't have to say anything, will I? It's like, we'll see. Oh, and get a haircut. Okay. His hair doesn't really look that long or unkempt or anything, but so it goes. Um, and again, you know, more of the day of the life of these folks. Uh, special delivery from Haiti. Uh, so Lita walks in and gives Dr. Ballad a letter, you know, which she opens and reads, but uh, doesn't share 
exactly what was going on there, though Keith kind of re- recognizes that something's up, right? You know, his jaws become hard set, and even at this distance, I can see his hand shaking ever so slightly in spite of his iron-willed efforts to control it. So Keith is quite perceptive, apparently. Hmm. Interesting. There's something going on with his family, but he he doesn't want to share. Uh, but then he trips over a trash can. And you know, so combining with the ink spill, you know, we're showing uh, Dr. Ballad being unusually clumsy. <laughs> so again, not really sure why, but you know, maybe this is building to something. And as he walks off, Lita closes with the line. If I didn't know better, Remsen, I'd I'd swear Lucian ba- Ballad had just seen a ghost. So ooh. We'll find out. <laughs> so again, day in the life. Uh, Keith goes w- walking t- to get a haircut. Um, and he says he feels apprehensive. Nothing I can put a finger on, just an uneasy feeling, like a long, dark shadow is falling across our lives. Ooh. <laughs> wow. A shadow of Dambala, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Snakes are long, I guess, right? Yeah, mm, yeah okay. So he goes to his usual haunt, Prime Cuts Hair Salon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's even got on a first name basis with his uh, hair cutting person. There's, there's his name for stylist. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's, yes. Um, it's definitely like a women's hairdresser pl- salon. I don't know. Yeah. He's got his fancy quaff going. Yeah. I guess. There's a special so. today, apparently. <laughs> so, so he walks in, Cindy. I'm like, huh? And there's a woman who apparently he doesn't recognize. Says, "Sorry, she went home sick with the Taiwan flu an hour ago. All the girls have it." Um, and I look this. Welcome up. to our germ-laden, uh, yeah, <laughs> club. So yeah, I, I guess there was a flu out of Taiwan or China um, from '86 to '87. The Taiwan flu. Uh, Influenza A, it's it's an H1N1, which you know honestly we're all kind of familiar with now at this point. <laughs> yeah, there's. I didn't even realize that was a, a one of the origins of a flu, but there you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. So yeah, Hong so, Kong was like in the '60s, and that was a really bad one. I remember yeah. um, historically. I I read it in history, but anyway. Yeah, so all the regular girls are home with the flu. Uh, and she says, fortunately, the new kid in town was spared to hold down the fort. I'm Martine. Care to take a chance on me? <laughs> Ooh. Odd, odd way of saying that. <laughs> and so, yeah, Martine's sort of drawn pretty. It's um, kind of got like medium dark skin, black hair, um, some kind of green dress. Uh, looks a little bit like an overcoat and he's like sure why not and she's like first day but i'm very experienced and uh keith is thinking there's an alluring accent in her voice french maybe maybe haitian (laughs) he doesn't say maybe haitian i added that (laughs) (laughs) nothing drastic i'm kind of particular about my hair (laughs) of course you are keith (laughs) of course you are She says, yeah. never, met a man, never met a man who wasn't. Now relax. I haven't scalped anyone yet. Like, That's comforting. <laughs> hmm, funny mark on your forehead. Birthmark. So you know, remember, of course, uh, Keith has like a moon shape. Well before Harry Potter did it uh, on his forehead. 
Um, he says, got in an accident, been in Washington long, you know, long enough, you know, and she says, frankly, the winters here are too cold for my blood, Mr. You know, so he introduces himself and asks where she's from. And she's kind of vague about everything. A small town south of here. You've never heard of it before. Trust me. <laughs> mm. She uh, definitely she, doesn't feel like she has all the bodies of Cindy and everyone else who works there stacked in the back. And... <laughs> oh. <laughs> like eyeballs floating in that blue liquid <laughs> that they put the cones in. <laughs> Would you like to join me here, Keith? Uh, I gotta go. Thanks. Uh... <laughs> This is nice, Cindy. Better get well fast. Or nice, Cindy. Better get well fast, or you'll steal all her regulars. She's no danger of that. But thanks. Maybe because she murdered all the regulars. <laughs> uh, and then it's, it gets more interesting near the end. So you know how much does it cost? And she's like, oh, uh, whatever you normally pay. They hadn't filled me in on the rates before they took sick. Like, okay, not suspicious at all. Um. And she's got to run. She says, you too, Keith. Uh, or he says, stay well. She says, you too, Keith. God be with you. And in his mind, he's thinking, isn't so much what she says as it the way she says it, sort of seriously, almost like a prayer. Uh, and then we see her holding a little lock of his hair as he walks off. So weird. <laughs> yeah, what she says is pretty weird, Keith. I would pay attention to that too. I mean... <laughs> Uh, she was attractive, so he'll just be back next week. It's like, ah, I just feel like I need another touch-up. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. Yeah, she's uh, she's very attractive. Uh, attractive, mysterious, lady. stealing hair, and maybe disappeared the regular hairdressers, though. So, mm -hmm. Look, Probably. you always got to take some good with some bad, you know what I mean? I guess it's, so, yeah. <laughs> totally. Psycho killer, I don't know. <laughs> Alluring Frenchish accent. Okay. And, and I like his narration afterwards. So he's back at the clinic. He says, Back at the clinic, naturally, no one even notices the haircut. Everyone's got <laughs> something else on their minds. <laughs> oh, little sister can't help but just think about her boyfriend all the time. She doesn't even talk, notice my cool haircut from the pretty lady. <laughs> oh. Anyway. <laughs> And Lucian, he's too obsessed with his conference to even care about how cool my hair looks now. He even told me to get the haircut. He doesn't care. Anyway, so so they're walking. Uh, they kind of. Oh, I'm through. sorry. It's with Lucian. It's the conference. Not a word about Teddy's date with a guy way too old for her. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, he's like. Um, yeah, because she she mentioned that she was supposed to go to a rock concert with the. With the guy. Yeah, his Frank. like, yeah, overprotectiveness is a little way too old for her, is a, is a bit of a much. But yeah. <laughs> but wait, they're interrupted by a pile of dirt. <laughs> so Lucian freaks out um, and yells at Geraldo, the maintenance guy, I guess. Yes. Once this floor vacuumed and scrubbed. Um, and you know, is, is really insistent about it and you know, really out of character and just kind of screaming at the guy, you know, you know, you'll be changing light bulbs in the unemployment line if you don't listen to me, kind of thing. Uh, so again, kind of weird. Um, but he def deflects by taking them out to ice cream. 
Mm-hmm. So okay. yeah, why not? Um, so we go to like kind of like an old fashioned ice cream sundae shop. Uh, everybody's kind of chill again until the uh, woman at the counter uh, says you can't make a float because they're all carbonated water, and I don't know how to change the tank. Uh, Lucian, of course, does because why not? Uh, did a little soda jerking back in his student days. You know, it's what you do. Uh, I, I got to point out, Teddy asks for a root beer float with strawberry ice cream. Yeah, it's a little funky. a lot of root beer floats, but strawberry ice cream. I'm gonna have to try that now. Uh, Call the. Me know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds weird. Like, that's a strange combination. Strawberry might go better with. I don't know. What would that go better with? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Lucian is apparently overconfident, so he's trying to fix the tank and the hose basically pops and kind of blasts them all with uh, gas. Uh, again, it's just pressured carbon dioxide or whatever, so it doesn't particularly hurt anyone. It just kind of surprises and continues Lucian's weird experiences and uh, mix-ups. So again, more kind of clumsy problems and coincidences. I'm a little disappointed with you. I mean... As, as chemists, we have a lot of gas tanks, and gas tank safety is no joke. <laughs> They're always tell, showing us movies about how these things explode and go through cinder block walls and stuff. <laughs> but that is true. <laughs> Be careful, kids. Um, yeah, this isn't quite as big as those ones. And Yeah, I guess it's a mini tank, but okay. Potentially could be under less pressure. Mm. So anyway, making excuses for them now. I guess I am. I am totally. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we go back to the clinic. Not sure if she ever got that float. I'm going to say no, Uh, probably did not. And, you know, Lucian wants to talk to Keith, notably not Teddy, but just Keith um, and explain the letter he got. So it says, dear Lucian, I'm sorry to tell you that your dear mother passed away several days ago. I will do all I can to appease the Loa. But as you well know, a son must do his duty as well. Mambo Matilda. El Elfane? Infane? L'Enfant? No. Oh, I don't know. Like, so, it, I am. Yeah. My French is nowhere. So. Yeah, same. I got, I got a little bit of German, no French. Um, like, what the heck is a Loa? Though, of course, we explained that one earlier as sort of the a Haitian, an important Haitian spirit. Um, and so, and a priestess is a mambo, as they call it, apparently. Um, and so they believe that he brought a curse on himself for not participating in his mother's funeral, all the ritual and mumbo jumbo. Um, and it didn't matter that he didn't know that she died. It just matters that he wasn't there. And, he, you know, he's a doctor you know, he talks about how he rejected that superstition. You know, he doesn't believe in any of it, not consciously, at least. Um, you see, but when I saw that dirt today, Keith, I felt afraid. You see, it's death to step across cursed soil. Nonsense, I know. But in my heart, I obviously harbor certain doubts. It's like, yeah, I can relate to that. So, so, so he points out that his mother was a priestess also. Like this woman who wrote him, Mambo Matilda, whatever some friend or, or other relative and then his own mother was also a mambo yeah mambo something 
Every Haitian is a Mambo. Mambo Lucian, they called me. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I wonder if there's like a, a man version of that. Yeah, it could like, be. Like witch and warlock, kind of like Mambo and Manbo. I don't know. <laughs> it would make more sense, I guess. But again, we're we're pushing our our knowledge of Haitian voodoo <laughs> way past the breaking point. I demand gender specific names for all of my uh, spiritual guides, wizards, and medicine people. <laughs> Just how it goes. Well, after the conversation about Lucian's mom and the evil voodoo curse, uh, Keith tries to go to sleep. And of course, he's thinking about Lucian uh, and kind of his problem with, you know, science versus superstition um, and kind of wondering why he's trying to distance himself from his past and things like that. And of course, then he falls asleep and is night mask again. So presume, presumably, as the reader thinking he falls asleep, dream or thinking about Dr. Ballad, he's probably in Dr. Ballad's dreams. Good thing they go to bed at the same time. Um, he's, Dr. Ballad is not up late becoming a werewolf like he was in the other issue. <laughs> no, that was a dream werewolf. There's no werewolves in the new universe yet. 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 Um, so yeah, he kind of wakes up in a weird jungle uh, with drumming going on in the background. Uh, he's kind of wondering what's going on. Um, and he starts to get his bearings and he said, you know, this road is smooth. And he says, what's this, a sobriety test? The whole road's starting to twist around under my feet like the back of a snake. <laughs> so yeah, he's on the back of a giant white snake. It's a little pink in our art, but yeah, white, red eyes, um its head is about as tall as keith so quite big um it basically yeah nope <laughs> but you're i'm guessing but go ahead i was gonna say i'm not sure whether it's meant to be like bloody or like an albino so it has like extra pink eyes and you know what i mean yeah like white and red or white or and pink um could go either way. Yeah. And the cover, it's a bit bluish, but still has kind of like that pinkish tone to it. So, yeah, it looks like a crystal on the cover when I sort of compare the two. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you were to like have a glass snake, it would be like the cover. Of course, this is just a dream snake. So it can be whatever color we want it to be, right? Indeed. So it kind of like roils and tosses Night Mask up in the air and kind of swoops around and uh, grabs him well it doesn't grab him but just basically opens up its mouth and he tumbles down its throat so mm, that's a classic cartoon type situation uh, swallowed whole by the by the snake uh, so he basically tumbles down the thing you know with, with plenty of room um, and the drums start turning into chanting um, and gets louder and louder so the drumming is coming from inside the snake the drumming is coming from inside <laughs> It's got a whole band in there. Um, Keith kind of, you know, swings it around, you know, lands a little bit <laughs> safely. And then, in fact, there is kind of a party going on inside the snake, uh, which is totally not strange at all and totally normal. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're, they're chanting, you know, sort of unrecognizable stuff. Um, 
He says, can't understand a word that tall dude's singing, but then same thing's usually true with Springsteen. <laughs> hmm. Ripping on Springsteen? Okay. I guess. So he kind of walks into the fray, uh, wondering what's going on, and someone speaks and turns. He's like, I know you are, Keith Remsen. For, from, from Dambala, there is no escape. So I guess that's Dr. Ballard, right? That is my guess, yeah. Yeah. So he's he looks, I don't know, Brother Voodoo is like a character. Um like a wrestling guy? Yeah, it was like there was a like a 70s Marvel thing. Yeah, okay. Um but yeah, he he's very like uh glowering. He he looks like himself, so it's not like skull makeup or anything, but yeah, he's he's supposed to be like a big like spooky stare coming from him or something. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, like the eyes are shadow dark, and so so uh, unclear what this means, right? Is this just him dreaming and kind of worrying about, uh, you know, the, the Haitian spirit? Has he been taken over by the Haitian spirit, and that's why he's gotten so clumsy? Uh, we don't know. Um, and neither does Keith. And you know, the next page is I didn't sleep anymore that night. The next morning, I almost tell Lucian and Teddy about the dream. Almost, uh, but doesn't. He says he, Lucian seems much calmer, so I figure it's best to just let it lie. Uh, even a guy who moonlights as night mask can just have a normal nightmare once in a while, can't he? So I guess Keith isn't one hundred percent sure uh, if he it was just his dream or if he was in Lucian's dream. So I guess we don't know either. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how he tells that in like normal. Yeah. You'd think he would know, but I guess not. I guess he would ask Dr. Ballad if he had that dream, and then he would know, but it's all I mean, it's like his ability to fall asleep at any given time. So then like when he just falls asleep normally and is does he just drift off into other people's dreams or stay yeah. in his own normally? It's hard to do. We haven't really seen any answers to this. You know, that's kind of the real superpower of Keith Remsen, isn't it, though? Just fall asleep whenever you want. <laughs> yes. That may come into play when we talk about Universe News. Yes. Okay. So anyway, they're at the airport, uh, getting ready to go to that conference in New Orleans. Um, a salesman dude sits down next to him, you know, saying, good luck, all the flights are delayed. Um and he sits down and, you know, I only noticed it looking back later because it becomes important. The guy sits down right next to Lucian with a briefcase that looks identical to his and kind of sets it down right there. Um, so they board the plane. Um, Teddy gets to go on first because she's in a wheelchair. Um, and as they sit down and kind of start chatting, the flight attendant says, you know, getting ready to go. Dr. Ballad realizes the briefcase is the salesman. So he like opens it up and it's just a bunch of like hairbrushes all lined up nice. Really? That's what you're selling? Hairbrushes? <laughs> That's some real old school stuff too. It's like going on a plane to drive around and like have this like sample kit of hairbrushes. Like, yeah. I... <laughs> okay, guys. Okay. Um... <laughs> Maybe they're shower heads. I don't know. Or spoons, giant spoons. Uh, definitely hairbrush and not spoons. Yeah, I'll say brushes. Uh, I, 
hundred percent airbrushes. All right. So we're getting into uh I was gonna say kickers ink number six here with these stewardesses. <laughs> That's what I was saying. And like, you know, they're they're lucky that that one stewardess is not on this flight <laughs> because they end up pulling shenanigans. Uh Lucian's like, oh I gotta get my case, all my stuff's in there. You know, I don't, he doesn't have uh a little Wi-Fi zip, or he doesn't have a zip drive or the internet to get his notes and his speech. You know, he physically needs that stuff in 1987. Uh, but the Sirtis aren't having any of it, so they start ganging up on him. Uh, Keith pretends to be sick and kind of like cripples over in the aisle to kind of trip up and st- and uh, distract the stewardesses. So Dr. Ballard, you know, zips away uh, and, you know, Pops in, is like, meet me at the ho- at the Blue Bayou Hotel. You know, catch the next flight, meet you there. And um, the flight attendants are kind of pissed at him, but don't really do much other than that. Um, so again, you know, more bad luck for Lucian. He forgot his case. You know, missed his flight. Uh, hoping he can catch up to the salesman. But um, as Keith and Teddy get to go fly off and wonder about what's next and what's going on and if, if Lucian made it okay. Um, and what's the worst that can happen to him anyway? So he misses the salesman and has to rush back to the clinic, grab the Xerox copy of his speech. He's like, uh, no. So we, we get a little panel of two guys, uh, you know, dark skinned, uh, one of them holding a gun on poor Lucian and they kind of escort him out into a car, um, which is, you know, you know, there's a driver waiting there with kind of like the fancy driver's cap. Um, and, you know, Lucian has been apparently kidnapped and whisked away as uh, Keith and Teddy are flying to this conference. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the end here. It says, next, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? Which is the title oh. of a song. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is an old research Louis. is on point tonight. I, I know, I was on it. It's an old Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday song. Also the theme song for Frank's Place, a oh. one-season TV series, though that was like September 87, so I'm guessing the writer was thinking of the older song and not the not the TV series because it hadn't happened yet. Yeah, maybe. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, got a lot of uh, good notes there. I... Uh... Out. Um, they back when they're at the airport, like Lucian and this salesman are all complaining about the flights being late. Don't you just hate airports? And Keith and Teddy, I guess, look at each other. We both do. Since our parents were killed and Teddy crippled by it at an airport. Ouch. <laughs> I get the. I guess he kind of forgot about that one. <laughs> Lucian's like, yeah, what I, I hate having to wait here all day. Airports uh, were were not as bad as they were are now. TSA lines and things. So, yeah, I feel like maybe it's a just a joke, but like they squeeze these things smaller and smaller too every time. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a always a few extra notes if you look carefully. But um, yeah, I always say though, like you know, and nowhere on well. Not nowhere, but, you know, one of the main places where you can see differences in class, like classes in society is on the airplane, you know, where you 
if you're sitting up front close enough to first class and you can see how much space they have and how nice they're treated and how everybody's like, oh, how's it going? Do you need this? Do you need this? And, you know, where you're just, you know, jammed in a seat and like, yeah, you want to keep the can. <laughs> well, like the Irish guys in uh, Titanic. They're all like an, under the waterline and like sleeping with yeah. cattle or something. I don't know. Yeah. Amazing piece of engineering and scientific achievement, but it's like a freaking flying bus, right? Like there's, there's no joy in flying. <laughs> if you take in one of those uh, 747 like internationally and they, they literally have like sleep pods up in the first class or business. Yeah. Class. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. But yeah, that's such so ends Night Mask 10 on kind of a cliffhanger and definitely a continuing story, which is almost kind of new for Night Mask. It's not a one-off. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's interesting. I, I was kind of confused when I read it because I'd seen a you know the the covers that are coming up and there was something about like lucian and voodoo or something and i was like wait is that this story and and i'm like so that i guess yeah the story continues and we'll we'll, we'll have more you know more of this in the future so that's cool um maybe it, you know a story that takes a little more time to breathe will be interesting yeah Definitely is, you know, it's it's kind of hard to see the outline of where, you know, what's going on and where it's going. From what yeah, we so have far. a couple of little clues, but not much. I mean, obviously, you know, Voodoo and the Dambala will play some sort of role. And uh, they didn't show us the hair stealing, hairdressing Haitian lady for no reason, but like no hints, really. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's not like a Haitian voodoo church will send ruffians out to kidnap you if you don't come <laughs> to your mother's funeral. So what's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot of cliffhangery, uh, maybe too much, but yeah, I mean, like you say, if it hasn't been done before, give it a try. Let's see how how it works. And you no, know, I guess I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. I think Night Mask has been uh, over the 10 issues becoming one of the ones I look forward to the most. Um, I've been kind of excited to read and, and kind of like the characters and the stories and such. So it's, it's good to have some ongoingness to it, uh, though, you know, again, not a big complaint, but a minor complaint is like this issue does feel a little dull. Um, we do have two dreams, but they're not, not really that interesting kind of dreams like the race, racing lady and you know, just like a quick scare with the snake. You know, there wasn't really uh, much else going on. I think it's, it's a lot of like walking around talking and, and setting up the story. And I don't mind it, but it was, it definitely reads a little slow. Uh, yeah, I could kind of identify with that. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm just picking out things to say. I don't have a huge, I enjoyed reading it. I like the story. The art's great. So, uh, I'm thinking B for my rating for this one. I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I I'll give it a B. It's a uh, it hits a lot of good notes for me. Um, Lita is there. Um, she didn't get taken to uh, New Orleans, so uh, yeah. 
um, but yeah, it's it uh, it's a it's a very like um, even with like a lot of creative changes, it's been reliably entertaining uh, month to month. So uh, and this continues, and this may be a little like more of a uh, you know come back next time than than we usually get. So that's fine. Yeah, and I think it's been the best some of the best covers of the new universe too. Uh, at least for our season two and you know, like the this last four or five issues kind of thing. So if you're listening and haven't really checked it out visually, you know, the night mask covers are pretty fun. So they always make, I mean, it, it's got a dream world, right? So you can, you can get really creative with that instead of, you know, uh, what's normally going on in you know, new you 1987, which is again, since everything's a little more grounded, there's less, crazy wild stuff but nightmask can have as much crazy wild stuff as he wants yeah yeah it's uh maybe that's part of its charm is it's kind of a counterpoint to a lot of the other uh gritty realism um takes on on yeah the 1980s this is a fantasy in the 1980s have some fun with it yeah yeah i'm still hoping that we see some the gnome but i'm guessing we never see the gnome again <laughs> i'm not putting any bets on the gnome <laughs> well let's see so universe news comes back again yeah with, um again uh some of the lesser like the behind the scenes people um which i i don't know i, I think it's uh there's a proofreader, production manager, assistant, coloring coordinator. I think I, now that I realize how much work coloring was for comics, I, I can see where like half of your workforce is just trying to organize that and you know interact with the, the printers and, and try to keep things on. And similarly, a cover colorist, you know, someone who's, you know, you got to make the covers look good. No, none of these like weird mistakes you get on page 13 you know that no one yeah care too much about. and the fun thing with a typesetter so i guess they're still typesetting things and it says yeah she's the one who's typesetting this column so if you literally have to have someone typeset stuff then maybe uh, doing your letters columns and stuff isn't as easy as uh, you thought but, yeah her section was the funniest yeah, she has a, a call out to the font that was used in the Mary Tyler Moore show. So it's a font 55 Pino Bold. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out. <laughs> Put it on the website. Yeah. So um, question of the month. If you had the power or abilities of the main hero you write, what would you do with it? Uh, I spoiled that a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Roy, Roy, and Dan Thomas answer: If we had the power of Night Mask, our dreams would probably cancel each other's out. Huh? Uh, <laughs> uh, that's kind of a boring answer, Roy. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We expect a little more imagination from one of the geniuses of Marvel. Um, and what would you do with it, though? I, 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 I struggled for. You know, a day or two kind of thinking about this one is like, 
it's really not that useful. I mean, they definitely do a decent, you know, using it to try to help people with mental issues or, or they're not even really like, you know what I mean? Psychiatric problems as much as like mental blocks or something that people are trying to overcome or, in, you know, dig into. They can't quite figure out what's wrong with themselves. Yeah. I, I have no interest in doing that. <laughs> um, right. But um, like, like in real, in our real lives, right. There's no dream clinic and no, and these dream scientists don't quite exist. Right. I mean, people study these things and, and such, but not, not quite like this, I don't think. So, you know, if, if you've gained this power, you know, I would struggle to think of what to do with it. And that's where I kind of fell back on. I think Keith Remsen's real superpower is to just to be able to fall asleep wherever he wants, whenever he wants, which would be kind of nice. I mean, if you're traveling, it would be awesome. Yeah. You yeah. get on those planes and you're just like, seat, you know, it's too small and you're like, well, I've got a few hours to kill, so maybe taking a nap, but then you're never really sleeping very well. So. No. I don't know. I mean, if you think of it as like a way, like a window into other people around you, I'm not quite sure Yeah, how to use that. That's not like, I don't know. like you're, you're, Intrusive? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you could like write a book of like, you know, life in a small town where you're like, looking into the minds the dreams of these various people but yeah, yeah. i don't know but it's short range too right like so when you <laughs> that can't one issue like where speaker. he like was like right outside the guy's window or <laughs> <something>. <laughs> yeah i like that <laughs> um yeah it's become a dream hobo it's not exactly like sandman He's not like there's not like a dream world that he interacts with and rules and anything. So there is not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I I like to you know the sort of lucid dreaming. I could think would you know allow him to be more creative, but he doesn't really seem to have much of a artistic or you know writer or artist bent. So I don't know unusual because like i say uh i've said before i'm sure that like writers are always you know putting themselves into characters as like oh i want to i want to start a journal i want to be a writer you know okay not all of us really want that dude <laughs> yeah so we're, we're perhaps we're both stuck at this one yeah it's not the same as getting uh ken connell's powers that's for sure indeed well, okay, let's take a break and come back with some Psy Force. Sounds good. break uh it's time to head up uh, and hit our second book sci-force number 10 it, uh 
Again, cover dated August 1987 and came out or hit the stands April 28, 1987. I think we had a uh, another two-week break after, between this and uh, Codename Spitfire last week. So perhaps we're rushing things get covering these books this week. You're just wishing you had a week off, but our managers won't let us actually take a break. We just pretend to and <laughs> must Pickers record more podcasts. Kickers Inc. is a demanding master. Yeah. <laughs> Get back on the salt mines and hit that wheel that turns around for some reason. <laughs> That's how we get mega strong, though, right? If we have to push that wheel around. <laughs> wheel of pain. That's what they call grad school now, I guess. <laughs> uh, that seems about right. It is right. So, Cyforce number 10 um, has a nice cover by Texiera again. Um, we have Cyforce, uh, or Cyhawk, I should say, sort of floating in the air. And he has three cowboys. Um, sort of. <laughs> Cyhawk hates cowboys. <laughs> uh, he's, he's, they're, they're sort of floating along with him. So, presumably, he's. Uh, levitating them and their guns are flying away and they're you know, sort of circular like they're spinning around or something maybe yeah or dancing two out of three have cowboy hats two out of three have handlebar mustaches all three have revolvers and one has those pants with the little frilly sides so chaps super cowboys yeah notice how cowboyish it was at first <laughs> And you can see in the background a small cabin and perhaps our young Cyforce down uh, down there watching this um, happening. But it's a little uh, small, so there's not a, a lot of details or expression there. Um, new Universe is in white. white this week. My comic headed in blue. What? <laughs> I didn't even yeah. mention it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I went with the snake, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we open up uh, without a splash page in the Arizona desert, and there's a diner, which we later find is the Suharo Diner. Oh, I thought it was just the diner, diner. Yeah. The, the sign outside just says diner, but later they're like, uh, someone refers to where they, they met or something. Um, and there it's kind of a truck stop slash diner and there's nothing else in this town visible you've got kind of a highway next to the diner and one of the cyforce is saying we finally hit pay dirt guys and it's michael and tyrone mostly sitting talking um with stassi there at the table and you see like a big uh Restaurant full of people at various tables and booths. And uh, it's Michael and Tyrone talking about how they've been looking for three weeks on the road with diner food, which they're getting tired of. They sound like justice now. Yeah, a bunch of complainers. Diner food is great. <laughs> what are the people talking about, man? I Actually, I love that. I, I think it's just a coloring thing. This is a guy in the foreground that's probably supposed to be eating like a hamburger or something, but it's colored white. So it looks like he's eating like a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that his mom cut the crust off. So now it looks like a ring. <laughs> I 
going to eat a cookie the size of my head. <laughs> I'm an um, adult now. I can do that. So he's, uh, Michael's like, uh, we, we looking all over. We haven't, we finally found someone who, who's heard of the proud hot family and Tyrone's answering. Well, once we get, uh, get done eating, um, we'll check it out. Hey, is this guy hassling Kathy? And this is all like in one sort of panoramic panel. This, uh, local hick is talking to Kathy and saying, oh, I hear you're looking for the Proud Hawk, sweet thing. Well, Gene Proud Hawk and me was buddies back in grammar school. Really? Either of you graduate? Oh, snap. Zing. <laughs> yeah, someone didn't reckon with Kathy's uh, sharp tongue there. It shot down faster. Than, <laughs> um, so, hey, no need to be nasty. Uh, you'd be nice to old Bill Holstrom. I could uh, give you a personal introduction to my buddy Gene. So he's getting really uh, too close, and uh, she's take your hands off me. And he's like, "Why don't you come up to my van?" Of course, he has a van. That creep. <laughs> Always, there's a van involved. So Tyrone is like, oh, "I better get involved." Could you uh, just leave the lady alone? Look, guys, it's Prince Charming. And like most small town, uh, you know, in the American West, these guys are mostly anti-jock. <laughs> looks like a jerk, jock jerk to me. What? <laughs> that might be code for black. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just didn't want to say it openly. Yeah, okay. You must be one of them basketball players. What? So uh is like um the the forward guy, Bill, is uh tells his buddies and there's a half dozen of them. Yeah, about to, five to uh take them take him on and uh so they start holding down Tyrone and punching him. <laughs> Stasi and Michael are watching this. Michael, we've got to help Tyrone. We can heal him? I don't know. <laughs> They run over, my, or at least Michael does, and he gets uh, pushed back. Yeah. The lone wimp to the rescue. Ha ha. <laughs> no qualms with beating up this obvious child. <laughs> 12 years old, usually, is portrayed as. Although he's in a suit, so it looks like a Sunday vest for some reason. So they, they toss him back, and he hits his head on a chair or something, so he's not like... Uh, gonna explode everyone um and uh, of course stasi's power isn't very um aggressive so stasi has made it over next to kathy and they're like i don't want to do this but and kathy just uses her power which is you know impressive it pushes all half dozen guys like off of her and they're all flying and that's our splash page it's page what three um just her sort of i've got no choice boom and her Pushing them all back. So that looks cool. And uh, yeah, we've got Danny Fingeroth again writing. Rod Wiggum, the penciler, who... Uh, ah, we just had him do something. Because that name's familiar, but now it's like, skipped my brain. And Romeo Tungal, Inky. Oh, and the title is The Searchers. Which is an old John Wayne movie. 
Oh, very good. Yeah. For those of us who did our research this week. Look, the research department just, you know, texts that over to us. I n- don't act like it's all. Hey, I um, thought you were a research guy. So, uh, This week has been uh, difficult in the research department. <laughs> Everyone was taking the hol- the Thanksgiving holiday off. And, uh, uh, anyway, so the next page, we've got a guy grabbing a mop. And as usual, everyone's like, I don't know what you're doing or how you did that but we'll just keep fighting with you. He, he picks something up and is about to swing it at Kathy, I guess, when Michael blows it up over his head. <laughs> um, and Bill, who started all of this, is like, there's more going on here than we can handle, guys. Time to split. No argument, Billy. <laughs> and we, then we the next panel, you see them in the window outside and it looks like they're getting into a pickup truck actually clearly not bill's creeper van yeah but they're like they're taking off already and while stassi's healing michael and kathy's helping tyrone wayne is coming out of the bathroom what what just happened it's this uh, japanese uh, ninja infected you with a devil snake and <laughs> that was, uh, it's not Hoyt Pittman. <laughs> I like to imagine that he was in there doing a number two, and <laughs> so that's why he couldn't like rush to the rescue. He's like, oh, 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 do I finish or do I save my friends? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. Yeah, you don't see that in a lot in action movies, but you, you, you know how it is with the dining food all the time, living on that. <laughs> right <laughs> too many fries too many fries um so, so yeah the others um explain to wayne and they all seem to be whispering i think um and wayne uses his power he's like the creeps already took off in their van so i can't do anything about them but i can still erase the memory of everyone who's still left so they don't you know remember this weird brawl with superpowers so he does his uh, push thing to everyone else in the room and then um, they all head outside and the guy yeah who had been eating a white hamburger um, Tex we'll call him he didn't really have a name the uncrustable you mean (laughs) (laughs) he is uh, he has a nice big Cadillac cars didn't have fins on them anymore in the 80s but okay whatever custom Um, job He's getting into his car, and Wayne comes up. Hey, mister. Hey, yeah. And then he's got the push iconography. Yeah, you're going to give us a lift wherever we want to go, aren't you? Sure, kid. And uh, he says he's uh, head out to the Apache Reservation on Route 4. The other kids uh, pile in, and they're like, "Ah, I hate doing this, but we don't have any money or anywhere to stay or anything, so we have to keep tricking people into helping us it's a matter of survival so they're inside the car they all ha- are chatting and uh, wayne starts smoking uh, <laughs> the car guy doesn't mind um and they're talking about it's our only hope of being able to find emmett proudhawk's grandmother and they're like 
hoping that she'll be able to explain how and why they got their powers and what the Psyhawk is and everything. And uh, Crawley just likes um, looking at books about lizards. So, yeah. Exciting. Uh, <laughs> Kathy, Michael Crawley. Creepy Crawley. Um, Kathy is hoping uh, the grandma can at least cook because she's sick of this food and these weird cars and everything. Her usual, you know. Um, so they're, they're like trying to find proud hawks on Indian reservations, which I guess aren't very connected. Is yeah. means they've just been going from one reservation to another, and there's a lot of them apparently. So yeah, there are actually a lot of them too, and they're they're dotted all over the state. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So she's um they're like, well, better than hang around San Francisco sitting ducks for anyone who finds about our powers and wants to use us or kill us. And uh, even if Wayne, this is Wayne talking, even if this trip turns out to be a bust, it's still more fun than anything I've done since I got these creepy powers. Hmm. He looks really awesome. happy in this page, too. He's like smiling and smoking. He's got sunglasses. He's like, he's yeah. on the road. His dad is nowhere to be found. He's <laughs> making that like risky business uh, look with his uh, wayfarers or something. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, Tyrone says something about, I hope we can get more than just some nice postcards. And hey, Ty, take a tip from Wayne Tucker. Don't hope for anything out of life. That way, you'll never be disappointed. Ding, 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 ding. Oh. <laughs> That's kind of sad. <laughs> Dark nihilism always bubbling back to the surface again. So they get somewhere, uh, Eagle Canyon Apache Reservation. And uh, Wayne is telling the driver, we'll just get off here and uh, walk the rest of the way. And you just forget you ever saw us. Yes, sir. And back in town, I tell you, Sheriff, it was terrifying. These, there we go. Bill Holstrom <laughs> is now complaining to the sheriff. The cry bully with his friends is like, these kids were uh, not from around here. They were asking questions about the reservation and they started attacking us. And you know, some rational explanation for all the craziness they just saw. He's like, I think you boys might be exaggerating a little, but if there's trouble making strangers around, I guess we'll head out and see what's up. So this is back to the Apache reservation. Um, they found a Hogan, which is the sort of native style house. And they look inside, and um, I'm saying it's safe to assume we found the shaman. And we have a nice interior shot where there's um, a young man who's painting on the ground. These uh, designs, maybe like a sand drawing or something. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, which like, I've learned about sand. from Curious George. They, they draw things with sand. That looks nice. And then a older woman who is uh, holding a bottle of something over a um, young person in bed. So like trying to give him some medicine or something. The kids are st- sort of standing in the doorway like, what is that? What are they doing with that kid? It's like the kid's pretty sick. They're probably performing some sort of healing ritual and not sacrificing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably not sacrificing. 
well, let's just keep our eyes open. And, uh, you know, they all have their individual takes on things. What Stasi's like, maybe I should help, but I have healing powers. I actually can do this. They're like, yeah, I don't Unlike know. these fake shamans. She doesn't actually say that. <laughs> yeah. This is like, I think Wayne is like not taking it very seriously. He's like, I can hardly keep from laughing. And uh, the old lady silences him. Silence. We must not be distracted. Whoop. Yeah. Foot and mouth there, everyone. So the uh, 15 minutes later, as the caption says, the old lady introduces herself as Emily Proudhawk. Can I help you kids? You are her. Well, ma'am, the reason here, we knew your son, grandson, Emmett. He was a friend of ours. He was helping us with some problems before he died. (laughs) (laughs) Very honest and open conversation, Tyrone, I think he's having here. Anyway, he always spoke of you as someone wise and helpful to him. We were hoping you could perhaps answer some important questions we had about certain things. The uh, the young man is uh, immediately uh, uh, angry. You, you are the ones my brother spoke of, the ones he died protecting. What do you want from us? Easy, Eugene, easy. My grandson is bitter about Emmett's death. Emmett had told us about his increased psychic abilities and about the five magically gifted young people he had pledged to protect. Then the next thing we knew, his body was being shipped back to the reservation. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? No. Um, No, lady, we only spent two issues shipping his body across San Francisco. Literally carried him. (laughs) So she's like, I am semi-retired. My grandson is the new shaman, and I will abide by his decision about you. It's like, well, uh, you stink of death and betrayal. They must go. <laughs> so, I will no longer abide by his decision. <laughs> your decision has now been taken from you. Um, Tyrone's like, look, uh, you know, his. There was no betrayal. He asked. Uh, we never asked him to sacrifice his life, but we care about uh, and want to preserve and honor his memory. And we need your help. And people are trying to kill us. Emily's like, okay, you may plead a most moving case, young man. Okay. Tyrone's the uh, the wordsmith of the group. Okay, perhaps we should grant them a chance to prove the goodness of spirit you claim to possess. Eugene is not having it. It is not right for you to defy my decision, which you just told me to make two two pages ago. <laughs> well, you shouldn't have made a stupid decision, Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, well, the, uh, I'll do what I can for them, but be warned. The trouble that dogs their heels should endanger our people, then they must leave. He storms off, and Wayne is thinking to himself, this guy's going to be trouble. So we have a couple of pages of uh, the kids talking to Emily and um, sort of breaking down their story about how they started noticing more paranormal abilities than they'd had before. And did they say the white event? I don't think that. They do, yeah. Well, they they, don't, but she mentions it later. Oh, right. Since the day of the great light. Right, right. uh, They just start off talking about how Emmett had uh, gathered them together and told them of a dream he had 
Yes. The dream of the five rabbits menaced by a pack of wolves and a lone hawk that came to protect the rabbits. Ah, yeah, this was in issue one. Um, yes, the very obvious dream. <laughs> the so on the nose, you don't really know what to do with it, dream. And uh, Hawk chased the wolves away, but it got pulled down. No, no. Hawk got pulled down, but a second hawk that was the combined essence of the hawk and the rabbits <laughs> chased the wolves away. Anyway, um, he risked his life and sacrificed it to save them all. Remember, that was an interesting fight with a Russian psychic that they had. Mind wolf. Mind wolf, right. They continue that uh, since then, they've been interacting with something um, called, they call Psyhawk, which seems to be, uh, if we get together and concentrate on memories of Emmett and uh, some part of him and us and something comes together, a being who we've come to call the Psyhawk saved our lives that day and several times since. And uh, when... Anyway, they, they also mentioned that when um, what's his name? Huh? Thomas, the Psy Stalker, the Psy Stalker uh, was trying to change his mind and was going to help them, that he was able to help form the Psy Hawk as well. So they're even more confused. So is like, are we really the rabbits? And are we the only rabbits? Or, you know, what is it? I, and as Tyrone says, geez, I feel crazy telling anybody all this stuff. Um, yes. She says, you know, since the day of the great light, you're right, the white event, nearly a year ago, things have not been the same with the moods of the spirits. Strange energies were loosed in the universe, some of which you seem to have received. Emmett spoke of his list and the children on it. And now meeting you all, I sense in a certain way you are truly my flesh and blood. You were Emmett's children, granted him by the spirit of the four winds. And it's my duty to help you direct you towards the good. And for some reason, uh, Wayne isn't having this now. I mean, they've been kind of going for a while, and he's like, I don't know. Everyone, I already have one father, and he's one too many. I guess that's where he, he, Yeah. <laughs> you start talking about fathers around Wayne, you're getting in trouble. He has a uh, Oingo Boingo t-shirt on, which is a little uh, pop for, for Wayne. I don't know. So um, Michael notices that uh, Eugene has come back. Maybe he's changed his mind about us. Wayne gives his classical response. I'm out of here. <laughs> but uh, Kathy... He's pulling him back. Wayne, I, I think it's stupid too, but like I said, we did come all this way. We might as well hear her out. Stasi is like totally into it. Wayne is hearing this all wrong. She has much to offer. And, you know, they all sort of talk about uh, should we leave or storm off or to listen to her? And uh, Emily makes a case that, you know, you can stay and benefit from all this. Eugene pokes in again. Grandmother, I tell you again, they're not worthy to stay. Emmett's blood is on their hands. And uh, so Wayne, one little peek uh, on the previous page where like the uh, Emily Proudock is kind of drawing 
And the bottom of the page, she's got a little sketch pad. All right. Does the sun look a little bit like a star brand? Oh, oh that's a good catch. Yeah, she's doing like a like probably more iconography of that dream where it's like five and the rabbit and the hawk and lightning. But yeah, the sun could uh, could be said to to be a proto star brand. Okay. I'm guessing that's incidental, but I like it. Yeah, I mean, things like that would, you know, if it was more obvious one would be like, what? That would be great. Um, as it is, uh, the the kids are arguing and they're kind of voting like, you know, I like this, I don't. And, um, Emily goes off and is talking to Eugene, Gene, and uh, he is still mad. You overruled my decision, grandmother. You humiliated me in front of them. And uh, she's saying that, you know, for Emmett's sake, you know, give him a chance. The kids come back and are like, okay, look, we decided we'll stay for a while and, you know, we want to um, learn something from you. So let's try this. And just then the sheriff come, arrives. Those kids you're talking to, ma'am, they match the descriptions of some troublemakers out of the Suharo Diner earlier today. And I want to take them in and see if they have warrants and blah, blah, blah. Eugene is right there. As I predicted. Years without any trouble on the reservation. Then these kids show up and the police come two seconds later. Um, then the, the sher sheriff is like, on the other hand, there's really no need for this. Yeah, Ted, what are we doing here anyway? I don't know. Let's just get going. They just <laughs> uh, get back in their car. You folks have a nice day. And uh, they're like, oh, you did it, Wayne. And Eugene is like, you that was the power Tyrone was telling us about. Grandmother, they're bewitched. We cannot allow them to stay another minute. Everyone's like mystic this and spirit that. And then you just mind control one guy. <laughs> right. Like, this is crazy. Shouldn't he be okay. more into that? Yeah. It's anyway. So she's uh she's gonna like gonna look for a place for them to stay and yell. <laughs> Eugene yells, I divorce myself of all this, grandmother. You can't divorce your grandmother. <laughs> you can divorce your grandmother. The fate of if our you tribe. you marry now. your grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> the fate of our tribe now rests on your shoulders. I know that all too well, Eugene. All too well. <laughs> so Wayne is thinking to himself, I knew that Wayne, Eugene guy was going to do trouble for us. I could just zap his brain, make him friendly, but he's Hawk's brother. And much as I resented Hawk, I got to admit, I owe him my life. Anyway, I hate pushing people and I don't really want to. Makes me feel like I'm a brain cop. I'm going to keep my eye on this gene kid. So, yeah, he, you know, yeah, I could do this, but I don't want to for these reasons. Okay, that, you know, I, I sort of appreciate that side note there you know it's like right. if you're reading you're like why don't wayne just do something he's less likely to try and influence someone he actually knows than yeah. random stranger to kind of save his butt or you know sometimes he'll push the other kids like when they're having an argument and then it like they snap out of it two minutes later and are madder than ever so yeah it's it, it, when it's someone you know it i guess it 
blows up on you quickly. Yeah. Brain so, Cop, by the way, would be a great title for a comic book. Brain Cop? Brain Cop. Hmm. Is he a cop that's a brain? Does he police people's brains? Brain Cop. We don't know. Right there, too. You can have one of those clear dome heads where you can see his brain. If he's too, like, um, vulnerable, uh, you know, he wouldn't really be a great cop, I gotta say. <laughs> Everybody's gotta have a weakness. Don't come back to me, my brain is exposed! <laughs> so, uh, next page, we're back at the sheriff's station, and Bill Holstrom's uh, talking to the sheriff. He's like, who's like, I don't know, I couldn't find anyone you were talking about uh, like that at the reservation. And Bill and his buddies storm off and realize the sheriff's acting strangely, but they don't know what to do uh, or about it. So they head back to the diner. This is like, get the even though you sort of see a town around this, you get the feeling there's just one place to go, and that's the diner. So Sounds about right. His friends are uh, tag along and they get there and <laughs> this is cracks me up a bit. Um, there's Eugene. He's like, I hope these ancient tribal scroll scrolls would offer me some guidance in the dispute with my grandmother. And um, so, yeah, he's reading some ancient scrolls at the diner. And <laughs> his hick coffee stain on it. <laughs> These hicks come in, and as you'll remember, actually, yeah, the guy said in the first place, I went to school with Gene Proudhock. And yeah, he should like rolls up and he's hey guys, it's Mr. Medicine Man himself. Hiya, Gene. And you think like this guy is such a jerk, but yeah, he is actually old friends with this this dude. They went to school together and they they sort of joke around a bit. Why the long face? Somebody steal your totem pole. Okay, he's kind of a jerk, but you know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, old uh, guy on you're kind of on good terms with. Maybe he's a, uh, I see him as more of like Proudhawk tolerates him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he comes off as like the, the town bully at first, you know what I mean? And then it's like from from Gene's point of view, it's just like, oh, yeah, hey, dude, how you doing? Yeah, he kind of like later is a little, you know, thinking about how he's kind of manipulated him. <laughs> so he's is a uh, he's talking about he he tells uh, Bill that he's having an argument with these about these uh, teenage runaways, and uh, they immediately like, oh wait, is it a jerk jock? And he, uh, you know, describes them all, and uh, yeah, that's them. I knew there was something fishy going on. We should go back there. And Gene's like, yeah, you know, maybe you should go back there. You know, just scare them. Don't hurt them. Don't worry, Gene. We just want to have a little fun with them. They um, weren't trying to rape Kathy, but okay, you know. <laughs> fun has a lot of very broad terms in some parts of the country. Gene's thinking to himself, you are as transparent as you were in school, Bill. I know your true intentions. I know you'll try to hurt them, or maybe they'll hurt you, but either way, they'll be forced to leave. Yeah, he is a bit of a Machiavellian there. 
So, but anyway, they're back at the reservation and the kids are playing Frisbee. Let's see you snag this talk, toss, Tucker. Uh, ha, they haven't invented the Frisbee I can't catch. A little surprised to see uh, Wayne so into a game of Frisbee, but okay. Kathy's like, quit hogging the frizz, guys. Yes, give us a chance, too, says Stassi. Nobody wants to play with the girls. Cool. So he's, uh, he, Wayne kind of goes around the corner to catch this thing, and uh, one of these uh, locals gives him a big punch in the gut. Can we join in, too, punk? And, uh, you know, they, they rough him up and hit a couple of the others from behind. And then here's Bill and Kathy again. It's the little gal that gave us the most, hurt us the most. I'll give her a little scare with this. Come here, honey. We owe you. And uh, she uses the telekinesis to push him. Um, and Bill, Bill's got like his a gun, but it's... Um, Sort of turned around, so he's like to beat you with, not to uh, shoot you. Pistol whip, right? Pistol whip. There you go. Yeah, he's holding the barrel, and so you would he would hit you with the um, grip. Um, he grabs Stasi is like the next best thing to Kathy, I guess, and uh, he's about ready to rough her up. But uh, Emily Proudhawk shows up, um, I guess, with Gene driving her. And uh, he's quick to to throw some blame around. You see, grandmother, trouble follows these kids. Now they've caused our reservation to be invaded by these hoodlums. Hoodlums, we were your school buddies two minutes ago, buddy. You told us to come here. <laughs> um, yeah, Bill's like, what? And uh, you, Emily knows, like, the children did not make the hoodlums come, Eugene. You're blaming the victims. And... Uh, they they want to just keep roughing up the kids, which is weird, but... Um, <laughs> Even though Grandma showed up, they still want to beat up these teenage children? I've seen some disobedient children, and I want to beat them up. Okay. Can I at least beat okay? one of them up? <laughs> Compromise. Is all you have to do out here? I mean, come on, man. I just want to hit this girl with a gun. <laughs> Even though she did nothing to me. <laughs> yeah. So, uh... Kathy's thinking to herself that these, uh, you know, one guy has, has someone in their hand, so he can't, she can't use her power, and everyone's sort of um, limited. So the only way out is to take the like three of them that aren't knocked out and to form Cyhawk. And there we go. Cyhawk materializes. The Hicks are scared. But with only three people, it's a kind of a weak Cyhawk. But you've never seen Cyhawk before. You're going to be impressed by it. 60% Cyhawk. And he he starts he doing the, the brain trick on them. And uh, a couple of them are still standing, Bill and one of his friends. And they're shooting randomly at the Cyhawk, who's probably immaterial with the Tyrone power or something, but here we have the cover where Cyhawk levitates the two gunmen and spins them like a tornado-driven leaves. And uh, then he's got them on the ground and he's using the mind power to wipe their minds, the 
the day's event while Stasi heals up Wayne. Yeah, so she heals him, which then allows Psyhawk to access his powers since he's better now. Oh, right. And then the guys are off fleeing into the night. This is night? Okay. (laughs) It's clearly day, but we get the idea. It's what the caption says, gathering night. Okay, so Emily is like, this is the uh, uh, Psyhawk entity the children spoke of. It's so much more frightening to see than to just hear of. So, yeah, the, the Eugene has uh, been hit by a bullet that uh, the guys were um, shooting randomly. And um, Stasi is thinking to herself, well, I, Wayne still needs a lot of work, but uh, should I go help Gene? And uh, luckily she doesn't have to because Cyhawk comes down and uses the healing power on Gene himself. And as the, he's doing that, he, they're close, so close that uh, Gene is looking into the face of Cyhawk. I guess his eyes, although he doesn't really have eyes. No, it's like white Batman eyes. Yeah, but he's like, in those eyes, he recognizes a wisdom, a warmth, a strength. He has only seen in one other set of eyes. The eyes of Emmett Proudhawk. Ooh. I had a little moment there. Had a moment. Um, yeah. So Eugene watches bullets popping out of him and his wounds healing. That's pretty impressive. It's yeah, three, a miracle. Three, he, he took three in the chest. So he was yeah. going to... Sorry. He was going to die. Yeah, you're right. He Actually, he looks like he has... Uh, Proudhawk's uh, medallion there too. Didn't that have that sort of hawk design on it? I believe so. We're like, like not family... quite sure if they still have that or not. Pretty sure they chucked it in the woods and never went back for it. And they also don't seem to need it. Okay. Out here on the reservation, everyone has one of those things. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I got this at the gift shop. <laughs> um, so he's like, Emmett came back from the dead to save me. Or are you, Emmett? You got to stay. Tell us. Tell us more. Like Cyhawk always does. It's like, Cyhawk's work is done. Time to fade away. So now, um, Emily is the one who's like, this is horrible. Maybe you children should be leaving. And uh, But Eugene is the one who's like, no, don't you see that creature is somehow a part of Emmett in it? We must shelter them. The children uh, are connected to it. And uh, they argue for a bit. Is it really Emmett? Or is it a malevolent spirit trying to deceive us? And uh, Gene says he looked into his eyes and he truly believes it is Emmett. The spirit is Emmett's and that it is benevolent. Remember, the kids hate Cyhawk for always, like, ordering them around and everything but anyway they gene's like yeah even if it's evil shouldn't wouldn't it be our duty to confront and defeat it all right eugene and lee's like okay but let's hope this isn't gonna destroy us all oh yeah thanks (laughs) i'm sure it won't destroy us all or cause some sort of crisis absolutely no way that like whole city could be destroyed by people with these sort of powers but anyway 
Um, so the the kids talk about about themselves about how uh, there's um, it's better for them to stay and um, maybe they'll get some more answers if they keep going and or they they stick with these people. So um, in the the last panel, the grandmother is saying it's time for dinner and uh, she'll she knows a dozen different ways to prepare corn, so you won't even recognize it. No, that's uh, that's Gene actually. Oh, okay. He's buddies with them now. Grandma doesn't want anything to do with it. Oh, you're right. Grandma's like standing uh, looking off into the distance. (laughs) So, bit of a, a, you know, setup for the future. Um, Emily Proudhock looks up at the heavens and begs the spirits for guidance in the difficult days she knows will come soon. Soon come. Next month, crisis on the reservation. Interesting. Kids always seem to find these, uh, you know, they've gone from sanctuary now to this reservation um, and, you know, find like an older mentor woman to guide them. Let's hope we get some interesting uh, time on the reservation here um, for another issue or two. Yeah. Where's the skipper, man? Wasn't he supposed to be helping them out? (laughs) He went back to Washington and then like, Tyrone showed up to ask him like to go through some files or something. And that was the last we saw of him, I think. Right. Yeah, I think so. Maybe he's the smartest one. He's like, yeah, I got a family. Maybe this just isn't worth getting involved in. <laughs> Washing my hands of you, Emmett Proudock, weird powers, whatever you're talking about. Sanctuaries, infinite uh, workout room space. Yeah. I like in the end how it, how it really flipped though, where uh, the grandmother Emily Proudhawk, you know, who was like maybe even like really heavily defending them and wanting to help them out, like is like okay, no, nope, <laughs> like get these freaks out of here. Uh, whereas you know, Gene uh, Eugene, who caused all this mess in the first place, really by sending his ex, his high school yokel buddies. Uh, to the res, they're basically, uh, you know, now he's buddies, buddies with them. It's like, oh, you really do have a connection with my bro. And so that, that was a fun bit at the end there. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it, makes it feel a bit ominous, too. Yeah. Like there's something about a, like a spooky old lady who's mad at you that's like, I don't want to stay here anymore. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. I got to go. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, the story storyline. I mean, we didn't get a lot of um, answers, and I, I don't honestly don't know how much we're going to. But uh, it's kind of interesting to get at least someone wanting answers about the powers and thinking that they can be found, because yeah, no one else has been like investigating the white event or even. Like DP seven doesn't even think that was what caused their powers and stuff. So, right. At least I, the Psy Force have like a path to follow, where they're looking for something that'll guide them. So, you know, that, that's cool. It's certainly, I mean, it's not like you know, if we had suddenly developed powers, we could look into the fundamental forces of the universe to try to figure out how or why that happened but you know 
No, we'd be searching on the internet, like coming up with <laughs> crap, you know? Yeah, so I don't know if uh, anyone who can uh, investigate things like this and who does, I, I like that uh, angle. Uh, New Universe has not seen a lot of it. So. It's true, yeah, and Cyforce also has had a lot of like one-off kind of issues uh, that don't, that, you know, have been not bad, you know, and a little bit ranging in quality, but um, interesting stories in general. And then, but it's nice to have some forward momentum. This feels like it almost could have picked up right after the, um, or maybe it should have picked up right after the battle with Stalker and the guy trying to kidnap them in Alcatraz. Yeah, I think they were talking at the end of that, like, how are, should we try to find uh, Proudhawk's grandmother? And yeah, so maybe it got kind of derailed at that point. But, you know, delayed is fine, too. Uh, every other issue you're kind of pushing forward on, a, on an overarching story. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So again, I'm not really sure what's going to happen because, you know, it it hasn't necessarily set up what the crisis on the reservation is going to be. Yeah. Um, And if, yeah, that could be, yeah, that could be anything. I have no idea. No, no guesses at all. Uh, Another paranormal, perhaps. Um, Yeah. Thomas shows up, you know, his, you know, benefactor, mysterious boss. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Thomas is also connected to Emmett. He had, he was on the list. I'm not sure whether that means they they met face to face or they were just. I see. I think it's implied that they haven't. That the the guy who kind of leaked the list and was guiding Thomas down the wrong path had kind of. Kind of spirited him away before uh, any of that could happen. Right, right. Emmett thought like he he was one of the ones who was dead or missing or something. Right. So, yeah. Definitely missing. <laughs> but yeah, I like so, a good new universe issue that's got some uh, hicks or yokels in it. They, they always make a good uh, antagonist. So yeah, it comes up a lot. I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean. Yeah, they're they're kind of. I mean, it's it's a question of tone. Like, are these guys like murderous, you know, thugs who like hate all outsiders, or are they just, you know, a bunch of rambunctious hillbillies? Kind of. <laughs> I see Bill as like the town sociopath, and then like he's got all these hangers on, you know, like enjoy, uh, you know, the rough and tumble and the problems he causes and. You know, the attitude like they run the tent like they feel like they could do whatever they want kind of yeah I, I know i see a few of those in like 80s tv shows when you know, the character wanders into town and there's this yeah bully bunch that you know, gives them a hard time usually yeah. it's like uh so you think you're like the best arm you're wrestler on. do you lincoln hawk <laughs> <laughs> i'm here to show you you're not <laughs> Usually there's like a girl and like the 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 bully guy wants her and she's like, "Oh, hi, stranger." <laughs> you looking at my girl? That's the one. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they're okay. Uh, the the 
quality of Hicks ranges a lot in the universe as well. Um, so I don't know. Uh, for me, I'll, I'll throw a B at this again. Um, positive about it, but I don't know if it really jumps out at me either. So, yes. Yeah. That's going a little higher. I'd give it a B plus. Maybe maybe boosted a little bit in my happiness to leave the sanctuary and advance the story. But also, you know, troublesome yokels and minor yeah. fights and Cyhawk shows up and yeah. yeah. Yeah, it definitely like had a lot going on and uh keeps you glued page to page. Um I don't know. We'll, we have to work on some material based on the reservation. I don't know if it's transdimensional as well, but we'll keep an eye open for any, you know, oddities. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I'm just still kind of in the dark. Like, are they going to end up back at the sanctuary again for another couple issues or are we done with that? I'm okay if we're done with that, but. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'd say the only thing about Sanctuary that I, um, I felt was unexplored was Colby Shaw. Like, she was supposed to be like an ex CIA or something herself. And so Is it felt right? like, I thought like Proudhawk and his and Skipper knew her from <clears throat> CIA. And so she was like, she should be a little more interesting, as, you know, not just like the, the, you kids stop showing your powers, you know, that one. Mm, maybe both I and the writers had forgotten about that angle. <laughs> I can imagine like you've been writing this for six months and you like go back at the first issue that someone else wrote and you're like, what the heck? She was a CIA? <laughs> that doesn't yeah. seem right. Didn't use that at all. Yeah. Well, uh, fun times with Cyforce. Uh, um, but back to the question of the month again. If you had the power or abilities of the main hero you write, what would you do with it? And this was from Danny Fingeroth. Danny Fingeroth again. Yeah. If I had Tyrone Jessup's astral projection power, I'd sneak in and eavesdrop on the great events of our time and also listen to what people say about me after I leave the room. <laughs> okay interesting choice yeah here you've got five uh powers to choose from tyrone's is definitely not the most powerful uh, yeah sure i feel like i would struggle with what to like to try and do something good with tyrone's power right like what would be like the best way to use it you know I mean, the best way to use it might just be to not use it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, I don't know. I mean, espionage or something. It's like, depending on how, you know, if he was part of Codename Spitfire, you know, and sort of remote viewing into like um, sending his spirit around to look for the max base mm -hmm. or something. Search know. and rescue. Maybe that's it. Right, because if you work for the CIA or something, then I mean, chances are they're going to ask you to do something questionable and might not be that far away from keeping you in a prison. 
right? I mean, just yeah. you know, you're kind of at their whims as to like where they send you to go. But but yeah, maybe like you're the you go in and you know you could just he could send his astral projection into a burning building, you know, a collapse collapsed apartment building. You know, look for survivors, tell people where to go. That's all good. Yeah, maybe that would be the the nicest way of using it. I mean, otherwise, I just feel like you're just spying on everybody. <clears throat> Yeah, so I guess a related question would be, which one of the five would you, which power would would you like to have the most? Yeah, I, I think you'd have to take Wayne's power. Really? That's what I would take. I would like Stasi's power. I guess yeah. the power to heal is, seems pretty powerful to me. So <laughs> Wayne's is a much more selfish power. <laughs> it's. I think we talked about before, it's like if you're depending on like how realistic the situation is like in the real world, having the power to heal is, is great. And the power to power to blow things up is like something you should really just keep to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Almost all circumstances. Whereas if you're like a comic book character or like, and have a character in a role-playing game, power to blow things up is great. And, you know, healing power, well, you're the cleric, you can stay in the back and we'll do the exciting stuff. Mm. So, um, but with Wayne's power, you could, you know, run into uh, Elon Musk somewhere in LA or wherever the heck he lives and be like, mm, maybe you should send me a million dollars to my PayPal account. You would certainly never worry about, uh, you know, your money or taking care of yourself. With, uh, if I needed power. to be healed, I could always mind control you to do it. I think you could, if you were, you know, had some reasonable amount of talent you could yeah propel yourself to be a very successful in some field i don't know just by like a very subtle application of it i mean a lot of uh, you know, leadership positions are that's kind of what people are doing anyway is just kind of <laughs> tweaking people a little to agree with them until you know, <laughs> the world's best lobbyist <laughs> you could if you were a senator you could make everyone vote the way you wanted <laughs> Yeah, this is maybe more realistic than I thought. <laughs> oh, well, let's see. Let's hit into um, that's it for this week's episode. Next time we'll be looking at the Merc. <laughs> yeah, at some point, Marvel Age just started calling it the Merc. Yeah, though the title on the book does not, right? Not that I saw. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad sign. Anyway, yeah, so it's the code Mer- name Merkovich. Merkovich? What? <laughs> the Merc number 10. Mark Hazard's friends, Griffin, Maul, and the Sergeant Major. Hey, he comes back. Uh, create a special mercenary squad to free Mark from, <laughs> from an Iranian prison before the religious revolutionaries torture him to death. <laughs> Iran Slam. <laughs> Written by Doug Murray, illustrated by Gray Morrow. What is that, like a WrestleMania event? It's time for the Iran Slam! <laughs> I just like to uh, go through um, trying to um, s- stop you know, nine. So the uh, funny part for me is when uh, you these things always bold the superhero names or something. So it's like Avengers and Spider-Man is always in bold. So I always like to go through and bold Iranian revolutionaries. Mark. 
Mark. We're just amusing ourselves here, I know. Yeah. Um, it also had the short version of the um, the information is Merc number 10. In a bold move, Griffin, Sergeant Major, and the other characters head for action in Iran. Iran? I don't know how to pronounce it. So, yeah, I whenever I think everyone, the new year universe spends way too much time in Afghanistan, they start sending you to Iran as well. So We'll see. Kickers Inc. number 10. The kickers find themselves duped in a kill-or-be-killed confrontation in Central America with revolutionaries. Also, interesting. <laughs> Who sent them? The organization they trusted most. The United States government? <laughs> what? Man, I, I can see your first mistake there, Mark. <laughs> Deadly Force is written by Adam Baustein, penciled by Rod Wiggum. Oh, Wiggum again. Yeah. And inked by Tony DeZuniga. Shorter version. The kickers find themselves in a deadly situation where the only way out is to kill or be killed. Man, did they just put the kickers in a Mark Hazard plot? <laughs> they just, I mean, this, I know the season's over and, you know. Jack is uh, maybe off the team, but uh, that doesn't mean they're like now a crack mercenary squad. I don't know. Well, they are. They have in fact turned into the A team, I guess. So could be awesome. Okay. Well, until then, uh, you can always find us over at kickersinc.com. And while you're there, email us a new universe slogan for our contest at newuniversepodcast at gmail.com and until then we'll see you back at the spinner rack